Welcome to the NCO Journal Sergeant's Time Podcast, a new series featuring informal conversations with leaders at all levels, where you'll have the unique chance to learn what makes them tick, what their leadership styles are, and what inspires them. With us is Chago Zapata, Managing Editor of the NCO Journal, Sergeant First Class Osvaldo Aquite, the NCOIC, and I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Brandon Cox. Today, we welcome a very special guest to our first episode, retired Sergeant Major Dan Daly, the 15th Sergeant Major of the Army. Sergeant Major Daly joined the Army in 1989 as an infantryman. During his career, he held every enlisted leadership position, from Bradley Fighting Vehicle Commander to Command Sergeant Major. He participated in Operations Desert Shield, Desert Storm, Iraqi Freedom, and New Dawn. He served as the 15th SMA from 2015 to 2019, and currently serves as the AUSA's Vice President of NCO and Soldier Programs. It's an honor to have you on the show today, Sergeant Major. Thank you for joining us. Well, Sergeant Cox, thanks for having me on the show, and it's an honor for me as well. Anytime I get to spend some time with the greatest uh, gift the American people have ever received, which is our incredible enlisted and non-commissioned officer corps, it's a good day. So thank you. How's retirement going, Sergeant Major? Have you been uh, doing any fishing? Well, actually, well, you know, it's funny you say fishing. I just got back from Alaska. Uh, I was salmon fishing for a week, and that's uh, the first vacation, actually, that I've taken since I retired in December of 2019. So it took me about three years to trying to figure out how to take a break. But, you know, I think in the Lister world, we don't uh, we don't retire ever. We change jobs and uh, and I wasn't done being a soldier. I just ran out of jobs in the Army. So uh, I'm humbled because I get to work with AUSA and continue to support our soldiers and their families every day. So Retired from one mission, uh, but continuing almost the same mission, just in a different capacity. And I'm loving every day I get to do it. That's great, Sergeant Major. Can you talk a bit about uh, what you're doing with the AUSA or maybe some of the important projects that you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and first and foremost, uh, our association, our professional association, just a little bit of history when it was formed uh, over 70 years ago was actually created by the United States Army for an intended purpose for it to serve as the voice of the Army and represent the Army in a capacity uh, during a time frame where it was needed the most. I mean, it needed to be represented as, a, as an Army. And then it transitioned out of the Army years later, actually, to free it up to be able to do some of the things that the Army wanted its association to do. Um, and today we still have that same mission. And it's simple as we educate, inform and connect America's people with the United States Army. And we support our soldiers and their families through our 122 chapters that are located across seven regions across the globe. Um, and I have the honor of running uh, one of three uh, of the directorates, which is NCO and soldier programs. And uh, bottom line is uh, our left and right limit is moral and ethical conduct on how we support the Army. So uh, everything from individual soldiers all the way to the uh, Department of the Army, uh, my job is to figure out how to take care of our soldiers and families and do it ethically and morally correct uh, through the extension of, again, our chapters uh, and the resource of our great civilian and community partners out there. Sergeant Major, can you, can you tell us a little bit more about the projects that you're working on? So this time of year, we're really geared up for annual meeting. Uh, you know, we are the co-lead sponsors of the Army 10 Miler, so that's one of my portfolios. Uh, I work with the Department of the Army and the Office of the Sergeant of the Army for Best Warrior. Um, I'm also sponsoring right now the Best Drill Sergeant competition, um, and we support uh, the Pershing Zone and the uh, the Old Guard for their ball that's coming up. So on any given day, we're doing an, a multitude of things. But really, this time of year, we got all the oars in the water getting ready for AOSA's annual meeting. That is uh, October 9th through the 11th here in uh, the, uh, our nation's capital at the Washington Convention Center. It's a lot of prep work that takes uh, to, to get that show right each year for the Army because it is, it's our opportunity to showcase the United States Army each year in our nation's capital. Sergeant Major, before we get too far into it, I just want to talk a little bit about your past. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe what your life was like, you know, before the Army or back in Pennsylvania as you were growing up. Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised uh, uh, one of four boys um, by a hardworking, humble family. Um, you know, we didn't have, have a whole lot of money, but uh, mom and dad worked hard. And uh, mom kept us morally straight and dad kept kept us uh, physically fit. And uh, and with the preference of if you want something in life, you got to work really hard. Uh, my father served in the Army, so I, I remember being inspired as a, as a young man growing up. Um, that service was something that was considered to be 
honorable in our family. Uh, wasn't forced on any of us, but it was something that uh, was talked about a lot in the household, and something that uh, that you know I, I knew my mother and father would uh, greatly appreciate. Um, my oldest brother joined the army, did one tour, um, and then my uh, next one behind him, I was the in three in the line of four. Uh, tried to join the army, he couldn't get a medical waiver, and then uh, and then I joined the army with the intent originally um, to to just do two years in the army and then come home and, and uh, go to college and, you know, live the American dream. Um, but, uh, life changed, uh, very quickly after I was in the army. <laughs> sure. Uh, what do you think made you keep going after that first two year contract, Sergeant Major? Yeah, great question. I, I, I credit one individual. Um, he was my squad leader, Staff Sergeant Davis. I was in Schweinfurt, Germany. I was ending the Coming towards the end of my my two year tour, um, I remember sitting in the quad um, of 115 Infantry in Schweinfurt on Com Barracks, um, and uh, he walks up and he says, he says, uh, Special Staley, have you ever thought about reenlisting? And at that point, I really didn't. And and what do I mean by that? I didn't hate the army. I I didn't think anything other than my job was to come serve my country, do something good get a good start in life and go home and, you know, and, and live the rest of my life. And I never really thought about a career in the army. I knew I always wanted to serve in the army and I just never thought about it. So he said, well, I don't want you to answer that question. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to send you to PLDC. And at that time I needed a waiver because I didn't have the service remaining to, to be able to go to PLDC. And, uh, so they gave me a waiver, sent me to PLDC. I came home 30 days later, uh, from Gravenvere. I was a distinguished honor graduate and distinguished leadership graduate of PLDC, and and I remember calling my father on the phone from Germany um, and telling him, "Hey, Dad, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna stick this thing out. I, I think I'm gonna stay in the army." Um, and that's 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 how it all happened. Can you talk about what inspires you, Sergeant Major? Yeah, I think there's 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 not one single thing. I mean, I get my inspiration obviously uh, on my early days. It was uh, from my from my family. You know, my brothers um, inspired me every day in my service in the army. My father, I always wanted to make him proud. Um, of course, my mother, um, and then uh, and then I got married. You know, as people grow up, uh, and if I found the love of my life, um, and I was blessed uh, to to marry a wife that was willing to sacrifice everything to come on this army journey with me and truly and utterly embraced being an army spouse. Um, and the, the service and sacrifice she gave throughout our 30 years of marriage, um, it was harder for her, I think, to separate from the army than it was for me. I mean, she, st- she didn't want to leave when, when it was time to go. Um, and then, and then my son, um, I only have one child. Uh, I, when I was in my, uh, in that, in the age of uh, of children, I was I had a lot of deployments back to back to Iraq, and uh, we made the decision uh, to just have one son. And I'm so proud of him today. He's actually a rocket scientist, uh, and he inspires me. Um, and then there was something I used to say all the time: is that uh, if I'm not doing the right thing as a leader, there's probably a soldier out there that's going to know about it, and I don't want to let that one soldier down. That's what made me get up every day as a leader, uh, get out of bed, and try to be a better person. That's what made me get up every single day when I was a sergeant major of the Army and do PT, even though nobody would probably know I wasn't doing it. Because I used to remind myself, we're here for a purpose. It's not just us. It's not our own personal capital gain. We're here to lead America's sons and daughters. It's an incredible and awesome responsibility. And these young men and women that I represent, especially when I became a very senior leader throughout my tenure and then became the SMA, deserve the best leadership ever. And if you're not inspired by that, if you're not ultimately and utterly invested in that, um, then then you're just not giving the appropriate level of leadership that these young men and women deserve in the Army. That kind of leads – I guess you answered the question. So I was going to ask – how do you inspire your soldiers? Do you think that the the answer that you gave there, the the, the response was uh, was kind of the, the the same thing? Yeah, I, you know, I I was just down at Fort uh, Cavazos last week, um, and a question came up during I was doing a leader development session with the First Cavalry Division, um, and this this topic of discussion came up, and I said uh, I used I used the analogy of there's a reason why you bond with your siblings, your brothers and sisters, your mother and father when you grow up. 
Um, and that reason is because you, you share experiences, good, bad, right, and wrong. You go through the hard times. You enjoy the good times together. You fight. You laugh. You cry. And you are forever and eternally bonded to those people because not necessarily just because you're blood related is because of the shared experiences that you have. Um, there's no difference in the military. There's no difference in the squad. You know, um, obviously you are in a position of authority as a leader, but, but you, those soldiers, those human beings have to understand that you are just as committed to them as you are your family and your siblings, because especially in time of war, right? I mean, so that critical bond is so important and, and leaders and organizations that get that right. You can see it in a minute. You can see the relationship between the leader and the lead. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to violate any type of uh, morally ethical conduct within the organization. It's just a trust relationship between you and your soldiers. And I, I think that's what soldiers are inspired by when they find those leaders that truly understand the art of leadership, the balance between um, understanding when a soldier needs to be, you know, uh, disciplined, when they need to be held, um, when they need to be encouraged and motivated or, or challenged. Um, and that's really, I think, what inspires our soldiers, too. So it's reciprocal. It's back and forth between the leader and the lead is. You know, as uh, a perfect organization is that leader is being inspired by the members of that organization and uh, and so forth, that that inspiration that he receives or she receives from them is seen by them and they're, they're they are reciprocally inspired by. Um, and it's just a continuous flow. It's hard to describe, but when you see it, it's amazing. Can, can you share uh, a memorable experience, shared experience that you had with your with your team or squad, something that stands out for you? Give us a story. Yeah. 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 Um, this, you know, we spent a lot of time obviously prepping for combat. Um, when I was, uh, when I was a squad leader and a lot of time out in the field, I, I remember as a young infantry squad leader and I was a mechanized infantry guy, you know, if we weren't, if we weren't in the motor pool working on the Bradleys, then we were downrange shooting them. And then we weren't doing that. We had to do all of our light infantry tables, you know, because we were still 11 Bravos and we had to, had to prepare to do those things. So I, I just remember being in the field an awful lot. And of course, inherently people get tired, they get weary. Um, and then you're deploying and then redeploying. And then next thing you know, you're back in the field. And I remember the first time as a leader, I realized, Hey, we, you know, I need to start building a bond greater than, than the work environment. So I started this thing when I was a staff sergeant and said, uh, made all the kids come over to the house. We're going to barbecue. We're going to do this you know, on a, on a cyclic or regular basis as much as we can. And, and we're going to bring the families and we're going to bring the kids and we're going to bring the dogs and we're going to make it relaxing and we're going to have um, this time together so we can bond and let our families bond because when we deploy, we need them to work with each other too. And I carried that out through my entire tenure as a leader. I did it as a first sergeant, a battalion CSM, a brigade CSM, uh, a division CSM with all my uh, sergeant majors across the division. And even when I was a sergeant major of the army, my entire team once a month. We called it team night. You know, we'd bring everybody in and bond. Uh, and I think that's important. And I think that's something, you know, I, I honestly learned it from another leader. I was something I stole from, from great leaders that I watched and observed. And, uh, and their ability to be able to build this team of teams while still maintaining discipline and standards. Uh, there was never a time where those members of my squad, even back when I was a staff sergeant, ever felt anything other than the fact that I was their squad leader. And having them in my house and drinking a beer didn't, didn't make anything inappropriate. I remember before deployment, um, a lot of our families would get together, and it was definitely critical that they built those relationships um, yeah. between us. And it, it helped with the team, too, because then when we went forward, you know, we had all these shared experiences and extra things we could talk about. Um, do you, do you remember maybe somebody from your past that was really influential for you, um, that maybe helped shape your leadership moving forward? Oh my God. Yeah. One of the things I've often said was, uh, you know, I was never the best soldier in the army, even when I was the SMA and by no means that I think I was, um, but I was very lucky and I was lucky in the fact that I was one of those soldiers that really had awesome leaders. Um, and I know that's not true for every soldier, right? And I know not every leader is a great leader out there, but that's where I think I had an up on everybody else. I actually, by luck, by happenstance, by chance, got assigned to the units with great leaders and Staff Sergeant Davis, my first squad leader, Jason D. Shipley, my, my platoon sergeant when I was a squad leader. What an incredible guy that inspired and motivated me. Um, my first sergeant, um, when I was a platoon sergeant, um, Mark Baker, um, later became a Sergeant Major, um, just an absolute absolute incredible leader. 
my battalion sergeant major was a two-time best ranger competition winner. I mean, who gets these kind of leaders? I, I don't know, I, but I did. And I right. think that's where I had an up on uh, most people. I was being mentored by the best the Army could offer. And it just continued to happen even when I became a sergeant major and a senior sergeant major. Um, and not just enlisted folks. I mean, some of the general officers um, that I served with, just incredible, incredible people. And if you just take the opportunity to to write down or just emulate their actions, it's not that hard. Um, the answers to the test are all around you. You just got to find the right people to ask the answers from. What did that mentor- mentorship look like? You know, what what did it look like uh, talking with uh you know, Sergeant Major Baker and, and the, you know, Shipley and Davis, what did that look like? Yeah, I, I, I think they were the type of leaders that made it very easy, you know, and I, I just walk in, you know, as simple as it could be in the office and um, and having a conversation of, hey, am I screwed up? Am, am I doing everything that you expect me to do? And you can't be afraid to do that as a subordinate and you shouldn't be afraid to allow it to happen as a leader, right? Um and I learned that from them. And it's amazing when you have this uncontentious conversation with people about performance, how much better it will make you if you allow it to. And, and the only way I can describe it is I remember um, I was the Sergeant of the Army and uh, I, I had uh, General Odierno as a chief. And then I had General Milley who came in very shortly after. And within the first 30 days, I got on his calendar. I walk in his office, he goes, hey, ask me, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm coming in to get your guidance, sir, and find out um, if I'm doing what you want me to do and put me on the right track. And he goes, no, nah, no, nah, you're good. Get out of here. You know, you're doing great, man. You're awesome. I said, no, sir. No, no. You're, you're going to take this time to tell me if I'm screwed up or if um, and what you want me to do and what I need to fix and what I don't because I can stay busy all day long as the SMA. What I want to do is be helping you shape your priority across our Army and make sure that we're in sync. And then we sat down for like an hour and a half to two hours, and he canceled like two meetings after that. And I, I left there with a whole huge notebook full of things to do. Um, it's exactly what I, my intent was, right? So I, I wanted, I always thought it was a subordinate's responsibility to create um, an environment, at least initiate the environment that's conducive for them to be mentored by their leader. Um, and and when you get rid of that con- that contentiousness, when you get rid of that uh, conflict, which people tend to shy away from, the development process is so easy. That brought up a, a point here that I wanted to ask you about, Sarmad. You you brought it up here with uh, some of the the leaders who who mentored you. Uh, mistakes. You said you were you weren't afraid to talk to them about the mistakes. Uh, can you tell yeah. us about maybe? Uh, some mistakes that you've made. I think it's important that NCOs, yeah. you know, uh, acknowledge that you know it, you, you you can make mistakes and and still be able to to grow from them uh, in character and in uh, and as a leader. So, have yeah. you? Uh, would you be able to tell us a little bit about maybe some mistakes you've made and how you grew from them? Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. So, so I never made any major mistakes like you know going out and get a DUI or thing like that. Um, I, I was too well mentored to be, to, to get my, put myself in a situation like that. Um, and understood the risks and the inherent uh, consequences of such things, but little things, you know, I, I think the mistakes I made were, um, when I was a young Sergeant and I remember getting counseled, um, actually when I was a squad leader by Jason D. Shipley, I lived this, uh, this thing that was ingrained in me previously of who, who infantry, there's no such thing as failure. You know, the harder you are, um, the less you will fall kind of thing. Um, pretty, I wasn't, I, I wasn't um, a tyrant to my soldiers, but, you know, I was, I was tough on them, you know, and I want, and I thought that's the way you develop them. Because that's kind of the way in that time frame in the army that we were raised, you know, um, that, that's back when smoking sessions were pretty common. I mean, it, if you were bored, you went down to smoke the soldiers. I know that's probably not appropriate to say, but that's just the time of time of period that we were in. Um, and we, we used those. And, and he taught me a different style of leadership, right? So um, meaning uh, you don't need to lead every soldier the same. And, and that doesn't mean it's unfair. Every human being is different. They all respond differently. He helped me really start to realize um, that there's an art to this. 
you know, it's it's not just a cut and dry cookie thing that you come in and say, here's what we do every day, and people are going to respond and listen. There's a, there's an actual art to this. So I think I was making a mistake initially, thinking, hey, I gotta. This is the way I lead. I watched some folks lead this from outside the organization, but you you don't need to to emulate those things. You don't need to be the hardcore guy every single day, and that's not what's going to make everybody respond. So early on, I think uh, again. I, I benefited from having great leaders that would call me in and say, hey, okay, listen, smoke sessions is not the way to get soldiers to do thing every single time. <laughs> yeah, so it was great to have those people around. It was. How did that translate to you becoming like a father? You know, you're not going to smoke your <laughs> do a smoke yeah. session with your kid. <laughs> yeah. But so I'm guessing, you know, you, you learned those different leadership styles um, yeah. uh, through the Army and through your experiences and through mentors that, that, that devote time to that. But how did that translate yeah. to, to you becoming a father or being a father? Yeah, my son was on this podcast with me. He would very much agree with what I'm about to say. I, I, I fathered like a soldier, like a leader does to a soldier. To be honest with you, I did. I, and maybe that was because, you know, and I used to get accused of it by my, my, my wife and son all the time. Was, We're not your soldiers. And I used to say, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. Not in a negative sense, right? But uh, – um, I got that a little bit of that from my father, you know, uh, strict discipline standards. Um, one of the things I wanted to teach my son was, um, dignity and respect to all those. Um, and it's your job as an individual to respect everybody. And if they don't disrespect you, then just separate yourself from them. Right. And, uh, and I remember getting this compliment, you know, cause uh, jokingly my son and my wife would tell me all the time is that I was. You know, I was a sergeant major at home, just as much at home as I was at work, and and uh, I remember going to uh, my son's uh, parent-teacher conference, one of the very few that I got to attend, unfortunately, because, again, this time frame, we were heavily in deployment cycles to Iraq and uh, in the field if we weren't over there. And, uh, I, of course, I show up late. I'm in uniform. It's, um, you know, I'm in uh, Georgia, and I'm, of course, running from the, the, the last event I was just at, and and I, I walk in, I sit down, and uh, the teacher says, uh, hey, it's good to finally meet you. She goes, um, "She goes, I have absolutely nothing bad to say. Your son is a gentleman. He calls me ma'am, and yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Everything's done in time. She goes, I just have one question for you. She goes, she goes, how did you raise him like this? And I looked at her in the most serious thing, and I said, well, I, I beat him. Frequently, you know, <laughs> and of course, I'm just kidding. I'm joking, right? and, uh, but I'm in uniform, you know, I've got that look. And she said, she goes, up until when you said that I was going to actually have you come in and teach the other parents how to teach them. <laughs> I said, I don't beat him. I said, but I raise him to respect people, work hard and don't expect anything in life unless you work hard for it. I said, I treat him just like I do my soldiers. And she said, "That's I'm the you're the first one I've ever heard say that." I said, "Well, because it's really it's really the opposite. I treat my soldiers like I do my son, because that's what their mothers and fathers would want me to do. That's what they expect of me. They expect me to lead my their their children like they would, or even better, right? So." And they expect me to discipline. They expect me to keep them out of trouble. They expect me to make sure they're proficient. They expect me to make them work hard. You know, and I realized there's no difference in the way I was raising my son and my soldiers or vice versa. Um, you know, good parents are good parents. Good leaders are good leaders. Um, and they're going to use the attributes from the things they do in a work environment every day that, and they're going to carry home. So, So I'm proud to say that I treated my family like they're part of the team and i'm proud to say that i treated my soldiers like they're my family yeah it's interesting that that, that you uh that you bring that story up because we were talking sergeant cox actually is the one who brought it up about uh you know as, asking you about you know, how you managed uh you know at the being at the at the top of of uh of the heap here so to speak uh and managing your work and home life so that, that <laughs> yeah. kinda, i think that, that strikes a note here I mean, can, yeah. you, can, you, can you go a little yeah. deeper into that? Besides the story you just told, I think it kind of pretty much says it yeah. all. But I think maybe uh, it, could you talk a little more on that? Absolutely. It's tough. And this was the number one question as a Sergeant of the Army that I used to get at PCC, which is the pre-command course 
that's every month for every new battalion, brigade, commander, and command sergeant major. This is the number one question. And my my our spouses, General Millies and my spouses, were in the room when people asked this, and then the, the, both of our spouses would smirk because uh, because we weren't good at this. All right, so but this is tough, right? This is, and I still get this question today. And actually, I have a whole I have a whole leader development class on it, um, work life balance. And here's what I learned. If you and your family just accept the fact that this is your life, you're going to be much happier throughout your Army journey. journey. What, what do I mean by that? You are not going to have the same life that every civilian in a community who lives there their entire lives is going to have. You're not going to be a member of the same PTA or the same youth group. You're not going to be a member of the same church. You're not going to have the predictability that people have that work nine to five in a normal job. It's just not going to happen. That doesn't mean it's bad. Um, what we had was an incredible experience. We met new people. My son moved schools, yeah, but I'll tell you what, when I dropped him off at college, he was five times more mature than every other child there. Um, and we embraced our life in the Army, and we accepted it as ours, and we were extremely happy. And Dad was gone, and Mom's rule was, Mrs. Daly's rule was, when Dad's home, it's not about qual- quantity, it's about quality, and we are going to do things together. We are not going to PCS without each other. Regardless of how hard it is, we are going to keep this family together. Um, and we're not going to start focusing on the times that we're not going to be together in the future and start making the time that we are together important and make it quality. So, And you don't need money to do that. And when I'm talking about quality time, is like you know going for a hike as a family, turning off the TV, getting outside, going for a walk. Um, those are the quality times. A lot of families could could use, right? And uh, so the work-life balance, there's no such thing in the Army. Now, that's probably not the best recruiting commercial um, response you'd want. But in in life, there's no such thing as work-life balance. There's work-life decisions. And we all make them. And we all live the consequences of them. So, So it's how you measure your value of life and what you do in it. And then you can really say what your balance is between that and work, because the reality is we all got to work. So we we got to we got to take care of our families. We got to pay the bills. Right. And in the Army, we have a higher calling to protect the people of the United States of America. And that comes at great sacrifice. And that's okay. Um, As soon as you learn to accept the fact that that's your life. You and your family are going to be much happier. Sir, Major, I heard you talk a bit about, you know, being a father and how to raise your child and some of the outcome that, that came from that. And then I heard you talk about, you know, being a squad leader and having a team that, you know, respected each other and, and fought for each other. When did you know in your career that you were doing it right? You know, that you were, that you had the right leadership style and what did that look like? Yeah. I, I don't know if I ever got it right, but I, do to this day realize that leadership is not achieved, it's sustained um, and improved, right? So you never become a leader. You you are one and you have to maintain that every day. And actually after you become a senior leader, it's a much harder to sustain than it is to become one. Um, I don't think I ever got it right, I, but I did learn. I did learn from the, the leaders that mentored me and the ones I emulated to who I saw is that, uh, was that um, when you build an organization that has a mutual uh, an environment that's conducive to trust not through fear intimidation where the subordinates have personal guilt when they fail to achieve for the organization and the leader um and that's not forced upon them it's just it's just a reality and then and the organization has a true respect for each other and its mission um and any failure by one individual part of that organization is a failure um that that, that just drives this this personal um, motivation to get better, right? Uh, it's very hard to describe, but but it exists. And there's the great units out in the army do this every day, and uh, I really saw the art of this uh, from my commander when I was a division CSM. And I'll give him full credit on the on the on the mic today. Is he retired as a four star general, General David Perkins, um, and he was a master at creating that environment that I just described, an environment that was conducive to success for all the subordinates inside the organization. 
um, that he fostered an environment of collaboration and achievement um, where everybody wanted to help each other get successful so the organization can get better. He never raised his he never raised his voice. He never yelled. He was so calm, cool, and collected. Of course, he was blessed with high intelligence and um and he, he would tell you the same thing. He was mentored by great leaders in the past and um and there's a lot of great ones out there. I think that uh, most leaders who who fail to do that are simply hiding behind a deficiency that they could probably correct. Um it's just it's just hard to correct or they don't want to, right? It's uh yeah, so that's why I think leadership is so important to me because I was this—I I was an incredible benefactor from great leadership for so many years. A lot of people think that uh, you know, creating an environment like that, um, man. If I was just a sergeant major, if I was first sergeant, I can create that environment. But sometimes, you know, we can only affect those areas where where we're directly at. And so, my question mm-hmm. is. Um, what was the, your biggest challenge that you ever had creating an, an environment of trust? Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't want to get uh, too specific. I, I don't even want to tell you what level I'm at because people could read my, my bio. It's readily available by anybody in the world to read. Um, but I did have a, a, a leader that, that created challenges inside the organization. Um and it was an officer in the organization, right? Um, I'm not to say they were a bad leader, but created uh, an environment that was not what I just described, that was not conducive to success, and people didn't want to be part of it. And uh, I remember being very frustrated. It was actually an inflection point in my career. Where I, the first time I ever came home and said, honey, when I, when I hit 20, I think I'm going to retire. That's, And the reason why is because the Army allowed this leader to ascend to this position of authority. And I was very frustrated because they shouldn't have. And this is where the true uh, benefit of having an army spouse that's committed to 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 the army and and to our soldiers. And she looked at me. She says, "Hey, your job is to take care of those soldiers, right? And your job is to be the best leader that you can can. And your job is to affect and influence those things you can. And without you there, they're going to be absent of." someone who's willing to do that and so you need to just forget it shield your soldiers from that problem get up keep going and don't be deterred by one individual and she was right and and things got better i mean so you know nobody died nobody was hurt or anything like that it wasn't that bad but it was difficult because people inside the organization didn't want to be there because of one person and it even frustrated me to the point to where I thought, you know, oh, you know, how could the army do this? How could they allow this? You know, yeah, I'm going to get out. And my wife reminded me is that, uh, hey, not everything's going to be perfect. Um, and you shouldn't be upset by this. Because I hear soldiers and leaders say this all the time, you know, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to get out of the army. I can't do this. Well, well, you can make a difference. One person can make a difference inside of an organization. And so after she had that conversation with me, I just went to work and started shielding um, people from it the best I possibly could and, and making a difference and keeping the organization positive and moving forward. What do you think that behavior that you went back to the to the unit and, and acted that way, what do you think that did for the soldiers that were that were under you, that were following you, that were seeing you as an example? Yeah, I mean I mean it was literally having direct conversations with the people around me, you know, and telling them, hey listen, we have a mission here. Our job is is to take care of this organization and lead it to success, and uh, and we're not going to change this guy. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen overnight. We're not going to change this guy. But let's not lose focus on the, why we're here. It's to take care of these soldiers and accomplish this mission. You know, and when you sit down and uh, <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't always make everything better. You know, but it makes them realize that we are here for a specific purpose and reason. And we, and we got to continue to take care of these soldiers and, and they deserve the best leadership that we can offer. them. This is a question I think that always kind of strikes a, a, a little bit of a, a, a spark in, in, in the guests that we talk to. And that mm-hmm. is um, what advice would present day you give Sergeant <laughs> Daly? Sergeant Daly just pinned on, you know, three stripes. He's an NCO now. What advice would you have? For that yeah, I would tell him, don't be so worried about your age. Because you were so young at the time. 
I would, yeah, it, it bothered me for years. It did. It bothered me for years, probably too much than it should have. And I probably, it probably um, stifled my ability to be better at the time. To be very honest with you, it did. It bothered me. And actually, I, I just mentored a non-commissioned officer the other day about this. He called me um, and asked me about this because, you know, he had been promoted um, and was just selected for a very senior position. And, um, you know, he had a, he was getting the peer pressure about, oh, he's too young. And if I could tell Sergeant Daly, I say, hey, just just lead. Don't worry about it. Just lead. Because um, it did bother me. I was very I was a very young sergeant. I mean, I, I think I was 19. I was a very young squad leader. Um, and I always felt I had to work harder than everybody else to prove that I could do it because the perception was that I couldn't because I was young. And and I, there's probably a lot of positive to that too, right? I mean, so it pushed me, it drove me. I mean, and this this was all up until the point I made Sergeant Major. I think I, I, I went to Sergeant Major Academy with 13 years in service. Um, I remember finding a baby bottle on my desk one day. And <laughs> were you the youngest Sergeant Major of the Army as well, Sergeant Major? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Um, first. And and then I realized, you know what? It's uh, Experience is, a, is an important component of things, right? But it's not the only, all right? Because you got to combine it with knowledge, skills, and abilities, and desire to be an effective leader. Um, and I always felt like I had to outwork everybody to prove that I could do it. And again, that that was uh, it. Probably bothered me too much. And I, if I go back and tell Sergeant Daly, don't let it bother you that much. But it also probably drove me to be the most hardworking person you can imagine. Along those lines, Sergeant Major, when I was uh, when I was a corporal, I had a uh, I was put in charge of uh, another corporal who was senior to me in time mm-hmm. and service, time and grade, everything. But I could do the job better, you know, better than him. So they they kind of put me above. Anyway, uh, uh, did you have challenges like that? Where as a young sergeant, you had the uh, soldiers who were older and possibly more experienced. Uh, how did you handle that? As yeah, as yeah. As uh, well, basically said. throughout my entire career, <laughs> to include being the sergeant of the army. Um, yeah, professionalism. The first thing, the last thing you want to do is use your authority to override um, even a negative perception of your inability to do something because of your experience. Because then it, would, it just feeds the fire of their of their perception. Right? Is you got to work harder. You got to show them that you're a capable leader. You got to prove to them that you're confident, um, capable individual. There's, there is no other way to do it. And by the way, that's how you do it anyway, even if you had more senior. That's that's what's expected of you. Um, and again, I, I told you, it bothered, it bothered me. It did. You know, and I, I don't think I've ever said this publicly before, but it did. But it also drove me to work hard. Um, I was either the distinguished honor grad or the honor grad at every single school I went to. And I don't mean that in a, uh, you know, a pig-headed way. It's because... When everybody was out doing something, I was working because I was trying to prove to everybody that I deserved to be there, regardless of how young I was. Um, and I'm not the smartest guy. Don't, don't think I'm like this gifted uh, wizard. No, no, it was, it was hard work. It was hard work. I mean, and uh, so the same energy that was somewhat holding me back as a leader uh, was also feeding my desire to get better. And... Uh, so I would tell people is, uh, hey, just do your best. People are going to say things. People are going to have perceptions. People are going to be, you know, jealous of the fact that you make, uh, make rank or you're, someone's older. But we should be promoting based upon potential. And we should be selecting individuals for position based upon them being the most qualified individual. Um, experience is an important part of that. But it's, it's not the only component to being a great leader. 30 years of experience doesn't mean you're a great leader. It means you have 30 years of experience. That experience may have been bad. You have to combine it with your knowledge, skills, and ability and desire to lead in our Army. And, and we have to not negate the fact that just because you don't have 30 years doesn't mean you're not as good. I mean, we have Olympians that are in their teens. And they outperform people who are much older. We have scientists in this world that don't have 30 years of experience, but they're they're inventing incredible things every day. Um, the human potential, um, the human brain is fully developed. 
in, at age 24 and actually starts to degrade at age 45, roughly. So getting older doesn't mean you get better. <laughs> it just means you have more experience. You know, the, the, the question of your, of your age, uh, I, I always wondered when, I, when, uh, when you were Sergeant Major of the Army, whether that was one of the reasons why wherever you went, Sergeant Major, you, you, were, you were a rock star. Soldiers were always. Uh, you, I mean, you, you went when you went. It was like uh, there was a crowd of people, and uh, people were excited to see you. Do, do you think that? Do you attribute that uh, that uh, maybe some of your um, or some of that to your youth, maybe? Uh, or what do you think? What do you yeah. think your popularity came from, or comes from? Because you're still popular. Well, it's something I think I learned as a young leader is the best. And most important thing you can give somebody is a thing you can't buy, you can't borrow, and they don't make any more of. And that's your time. It is the most important thing. And in every single opportunity that I got to spend a time with a soldier, I would focus and listen to them. Some of the greatest ideas that came out from my tenure as YesMA came from just listening to soldiers. Listening to leaders, going in the motor pool, sitting in the back. And I tell leaders all the time, if you, if you don't want people to talk to you, then walk around and be mad all day. And I promise you, everybody will do everything they can to avoid you. Okay. If you want to really know what's wrong with the Army, if you really want to know the problems, the issues and concerns, because ultimately that's your job, is you're, you're, you're trying to make your organization better, the United States Army and help the leaders below you accomplish their mission, right? And we're out there praising and looking for the good things too, right? But mostly I want to know what's wrong. And, and there's a way to do it that doesn't put people, make them feel contentious. So, so when I used to show up at installations, you know, you're going to find something wrong. My job is not to point that out. My job is to help them fix it, right? So I would send a sit rep after every installation I went to, and I would CC the, com- the, the commanding general. And then I would give the chief of staff of the army a list of the things that I was doing to help the CG fix it. It wasn't a poke in the eye. It was, you know, and I think when you establish yourself as that, as a person, I think that's what the soldiers, hopefully that's what they saw. Cause that's what I was trying to achieve is, um, is someone that you can talk to and trust, and you're not going to get yelled at. You're not going to get an attitude. God, I was starting to, I've seen a lot of bad things, you know, um, I'm not going to get excited about them. All right, just just tell me what's going on and we'll get them fixed. And I think they saw me as an individual that would honestly, you know, change things too, right? So, uh, and of course, sometimes you got to say no, right? So probably one of the biggest upsets of the soldiers after I gave them tattoos, black socks and headphones in the gym is I didn't give them beards, right? Because there's a limit. To, <laughs> um, but when you create that environment as a leader, um, meaning you're conducive, you know, making an environment conducive to, to listening and truly making them feel um, like they're being heard. Because we all know you, when you talk to a person, you know, within within a blink of the eye, whether or not they're listening or paying attention to you. You know that. And it is incredibly powerful for the other person or very put offish if, if you're not. Um, and every single private I tried, at least, of course, you get very busy as Army of the Army. Tried to give them the time they deserved, and and listen. And I think that spreads, right? And then you know, giving them tattoos back helps too. <laughs> I think you yeah. hit the nail on the head though with the listening. I think at all levels, as an NCO, as, as a soldier yeah. in general, if you listen, uh, you're going to get a lot more than if you than if you just talk, right? And even yeah. if you even if you listen, right, and you still can't give them the answer they're looking for, but at least you listen and gave them an answer. They, That's right. They feel heard. Yeah. 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 I mean, I used to go to Star Major Academy every year and I'd do the town hall with the Star Majors and I would do it with the spouses. And I'll tell you, I get very, it's a very heated, heated discussions. Um, and I would immediately take responsibility, but it's incredible. Even though they get passionate about things, um, you find out that we don't always do everything right. And I'm in that room and, you know, there was a spouse telling me, why are we going here? Why are we PCSing here? This makes no sense to me. And I looked at her and said, you know what? You're absolutely right. That's stupid. Who who told you guys are going there? You know, and then the great thing about being a sergeant of the army is you can pick up the phone and fix it right there on the spot. You know, and then the the people feel like, man, this guy listens. You know, and in the same record, you you have to be a leader too, right? And you have to tell soldiers and families, no, 
Uh, hey, no, we're not doing that. No. But but it's okay to explain why. All right. Because we're not doing that because because here's why. We're not going to have beards because the perception of the American people that they uh, they deserve of a United States soldier is not consistent with our values. You know, that's simply that's just simply it. It's um, and by the way, you're not going to be ready for combat when you deploy because your mask will not seal with a beard, right? So, so yeah, we're not having beards. Yeah, you know? and then they get it, they get it. But you've listened, you've you've considered it, and you gave him an honest opinion rather just than your own, right? And I tried to never use my own opinions to lead the army, but of course you got to make decisions in the best interest of the army. Sergeant Major, can you recall your most proudest moment during your uh, tenure as an SMA? Oh gosh, most proudest moment. I I think it's um, so I worked really hard um, as the trade officer major to um, modernize our non-commissioned officer education system. Best in the world, but it, it, it needed modernization. Did from a digital perspective, you know, I'm bringing it into from, you know, from, from that standpoint, but also from a curriculum and academic equivalency. And I was very passionate about the fact that we gave our soldiers world-class education, but we gave them no credit for it. So I started on this bold, bold, bold idea uh, we're gonna we're gonna cr- accredit the SAR Major Academy, right? <laughs> and uh, as the Tradoc SAR Major, and carried this work on throughout my tenure as the SAR Major of the Army. That building a university is a difficult process. It's not as easy as you think. I, at one point, I actually called the Department of Education and said, "Hey, do you guys have like a uh, um, like a little pamphlet for building a college for dummies? You know, like <laughs> and uh, and what, what do I? I literally said, what do I need to do to build a university? I mean, that's where we started, right? And uh, and right before I retired, I was at the last Star Major Academy graduation. We conferred the first degree at the Star Major Academy. And uh, I was so proud. I I went to that school, which is the best the world had to offer. Every other military in the world emulates that that facility and the, the structure of what we have at the United States Army Sergeant Major Academy. Um, that's why 60 countries go there. But I was very upset when I graduated, thinking to myself, I had this world class education, and I think I think I, I when I did some college equivalency, I got like three credit hours or something like that. Three credit hours for 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 my my tenure at the Sergeant Major Academy. And I said this is unacceptable, and I was so proud that day that we handed a Sergeant Major a degree as a result of their experience at the Sergeant Major Academy. And most people will never know that took hundreds of wonderful people helping. That took um, the power of the secretary, the chief, um, and seven years at least seven years of very, very, very hard work. Um, and it was just a, you know, it was a culmination, but, and it was more than just that. It was all the work that we did to modernize our education system. And I knew at that time, the work that I had done for, from my tenure as both the trade officer major and the SMA was going to continue on after I left. So it was an ultimate prize, you know, that I got to see this sergeant major and get his degree handed to him for the first time. But it was also satisfaction that it's kind of, you know, we're going to be in good hands for the future. If you were SMA now, is there anything that you foresee that needs to be uh, given some attention? Ooh, this is this is a this is a no no for <laughs> this is a, this is a no no for former leaders and former, especially SMAs and chiefs. Right, we don't sideline coach. But I will, I'm going to answer this, right? But I'm going to answer this, but I'm going to tell you, this is not because of any failure of any leader in the United States Army. We have incredible, qualified, absolute, genuine, humbly serving leaders. I mean, and they're amazing people and they deserve to be there. Uh, if, if I could change something right now, and this, isn't, this is higher than the Army, we have to get serious about recruiting. It scares the living you know what out of me right now and largely because we have left recruiting to the army and i'm going to say this publicly if the army is left alone to recruit our nation's army on their own we're going to fail because armies don't build armies nations do 
nations build armies. Nations build navies. Nations build Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guards, and Space Forces. Services, largely, the Army can't affect this stuff. They can't affect what's going on. They can they can spend millions and millions of dollars on marketing, right? They can put recruiters out on the street, but what they can't do is replace 18 years of mentorship by influencers across our country. They, they can't affect that. They can't affect what mothers, fathers, coaches, teachers, guidance counselors are saying to young men and women across our country and influencing their actions upon graduation of high school. Recruiters can't change that perception in one week or one interview. And this nation needs to get serious about recruiting because we're going to have an army. This nation's not going to be without an army. And the army's not going to decide how it's built if people don't volunteer. This nation is going to decide. So I know that's something that the army can't necessarily change because I firmly believe they can't, but it's something that we have to, as a nation, need to start focusing on. And now I look back and say, man, how if how would I influence that if I was still the Sergeant of the Army today? And frankly, I would probably risk my career. I'd go up to testimony and I would publicly ask Congress to get involved. Because they're ultimately going to be the ones to make the decision when we can't recruit an all-volunteer force on how to fill the Army, not the Army. And they probably yell at me, throw me out of the room. But I'm serious about that. This scares me right now. This scares me. And I think there's young men and women out there that are willing to serve this great nation, and they're physically fit, and they're capable. They just need to be mentored. They just need to be influenced. Um, not every single kid that graduates high school needs to go to college, and they shouldn't be. We need people going to college. We don't need them all. And they, and frankly, they all shouldn't be going there anywhere because that's not what they're good at. We need to take the time as influencers in this nation to talk to these young men and women and inspire them about service rather than just say, what college are you going to? Because that's not the right answer. Sorry, Major, you have the ear of the NCO Corps right now. Um, what would be something you want to say to the entire NCO Corps? Yeah, I would say um, – we're the best non-commissioned officer corps in the world because of the things we have done to earn that title. And those are the things that are going to keep us the best forever. But it's not just by chance or happenstance or because it was in the past. It takes hard work to continue to do those things in the future. So I would tell our NCO course, keep being the best by working hard to be better every day. Thank you for joining us, Sergeant Major. It was truly an honor to have you on the show. Stay tuned for more interesting guests and inspiring conversations right here at the NCO Journal. Submit your articles, get published. Don't forget to visit our webpage and follow us on social media. We'll see you next time on the Sergeant's Time Podcast.